0: No one will ever forget, if you're old enough to remember where you were, exactly 20 years ago yesterday, when you heard the news, the Twin Towers were on fire. It was surreal, wasn't it? We stood stunned and shocked, watching the Twin Towers burn, even then we couldn't fathom or imagine the collapse that was to come the destruction, and we knew somehow the world had ever changed, and 20 years later, indeed it has. We actually have some first responders among us that were there that day on Ground Zero. I think we ought to give them a hand right now, don't you? Thank you for the way you serve. One of the worst days in American history is 3,000 Innocent Americans perished. The church, I sense 20 years later in this fire that we're in, some of us feel like this is an image that applies to our life personally. It feels like my life is on fire. It feels like the world is on fire. It feels like everything is about to collapse around me destruction, devastation, some of us navigating decisions we never thought we would have to navigate. The suffering is real. I'm going to yet another funeral this week. I never dreamed I would just a few weeks ago. What do we do at a time such as this? And there's a reason months ago, I wanted to preach through the book of First Peter because so much of Peter is about suffering. This was a first century church that was suffering deeply and horrifically under the fire of persecution. Nero is on the throne of Rome and the church has always been refined in the fires of persecution, not just persecution but trials and tribulation. Peter calls this over and over again a refiner's fire. It's not always judgment fire as in judging us for our sin but rather in the same way fire purges impurities off of gold, it purges the impurities of our faith, and I'm convinced in the last 18 months, with this global pandemic, what I've called this divine interruption, it's caused a little introspection. Some of us have found our faith in the fire. And God has revealed our faith in the fire. Now he's refining that faith in the fire. And that was what is happening in the first century as the Apostle Peter wrote these words. The Apostle Paul would write something similar when he said this in 2 Timothy three twelve. Yes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. And that is part of the refining fire of God upon your faith. It always is, not just in the persecution of sometimes feeling the opposition as being Christians, but just in the life's trials in general, through the tears and trials and the pain and suffering. God is refining us. The church of Jesus Christ in Western civilization, I'm convinced, maybe, has never been through the refining fire like the one we're going into and like the one we're going to be in in the days to come. And this is why Peter is now writing these very words. First 1 Peter chapter 4, welcome Blue Springs Independent to all of you watching online right here in Lee Summit, if you have a copy of the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 4, as we've studied line by line, verse by verse through this book. And as Peter is writing these words, we need to understand historically what is going on. It's about 64 A.D., Emperor Nero is on the throne of Rome. He has unleashed a bloody persecution on these early Christians. They are literally being burned at the stake by Nero for sport. These early Christians are being canceled. The cancel culture did not begin in 21st century America. The cancel culture began eons and eons ago. And these early Christians are being canceled. They're being ostracized from the trade guilds and the trade unions. And their businesses are being boycotted. In some cases, they're being imprisoned and crucified and tortured to death. And this is the context that Peter now writes these words. And I'm convinced this ancient wisdom this wisdom from heaven is more relevant than it's ever been for the church in Western civilization. As we in the years ahead will face increasing opposition for nothing more than being a true Christian. What do we do when we face that kind of opposition? How do we respond? How now shall we live? What is God trying to do? There's four things Peter's gonna show us today. And number one is this, we need to be ready. You need to be ready. Brace yourself, be ready. Be ready. This is what Peter says now to these early Christians. He now says it to us in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. He's writing these early followers of Jesus, some of which have been imprisoned, and they're they're reading this letter for the first time, scattered around the Roman world, and as they receive it, they copy it and they pass it on to others. And this letter of Peter is being read for the first time by these early followers of Jesus going through this horrific persecution that, quite frankly, none of us can really fathom or imagine. He says, guys, don't think it's strange. Don't be shocked. Don't be stunned, because this fiery trial has come upon you. You should be ready. You should learn to accept it, because you're not the exception. Now, this is hard for us as American Christians, because let's be honest, we know very little about persecution. Our experience as Christians living in 21st century America is unique among all of church history and many Christians that have come before us. Why? Because in the West, the church really hasn't been persecuted. In the West, we don't know that much about it. We really don't. Let's face it, we think we get to be the exception because we have the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment and religious freedom, and we think we ought to be the exception. What Peter's saying is there is no exemption. Not really. If you're gonna live godly in Christ Jesus, the darkness has always hated the light. So he said, hey, don't don't be shocked. Don't be stunned. Don't be surprised. When persecution really comes, And this is what he says, we should be preparing and be prepared to be persecuted for our faith as Christians. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, if you're not living godly and you're just blending into the darkness, you're going to be persecuted for anything. But understand, as Christians, it says, and we've learned this in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, God has called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light so we might shine forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his light if indeed we stand in the light of God and not in the darkness of our world we're going to stand out instead of blend in and the darkness has always hated the light do you understand this is why they crucified the Christ this is in John chapter one Jesus came into his own but his own received him not he was the light of the world but the darkness comprehended not and they snuffed out his life because they hated the light. Do you understand? Jesus said, "In this world you will have tribulation." Jesus said these words in Matthew twenty-four. You'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. He said in First uh, John chapter five. He said in uh, John chapter fifteen. He, he said, "If the world hated me, they're going to hate you too. If they hate you, it's because they first hated me." Do you understand that? Over and over in the New Testament, we're told to be ready, prepare. Because the darkness hates the light, we need to prepare for persecution and opposition as Christians. Now, just to put it in perspective, it's really hard for us to imagine because we live in 21st century America where the church has been mainstream for so long. I mean, can you imagine some of the conversations that are going to go on someday in heaven? You're meeting believers from around the world, from other places and different centuries throughout church history, and you're standing in a circle with other believers someday around the throne of God, and everybody's telling their story, and somebody turns to this believer, hey, tell us your story, and he says, well, yeah, I lived in 262 AD, and I got thrown to the lions on the Roman Colosseum. Man, I got torn to shreds. You can't tell now, but man, it was a horrible way to go. And somebody turns to another one and says, hey, tell us your story. He said, yeah, I lived in 1519, and I actually was in Spain at the time, and, you know, I was part of the Spanish Inquisition, and the religious establishment burnt me at the stake because I wouldn't baptize my babies. They called me a heretic. It was a horrible way to go. And then somebody else turns and says, hey, tell us your story. And he says, well, it was northern Iraq, 2017, and Isaacs took over the country, and they cut my head off. It was horrible. And then they turn to you. Tell us your story. Oh, well, 2020, let me tell you something, man. People talked behind my back, called me a Jesus freak. It was horrible. I mean, really, can you imagine? But here's the reality, church. What we know as Christianity, true biblical Christianity, as opposed to the fake pseudo-Christianity of the 21st century, is becoming increasingly an anomaly. Now, when I say the fake pseudo-Christianity of 21st century churchianity, I'm talking about Christians who don't believe what Christians believe, but they still call themselves a Christian. I mean, it's everywhere. Because the things that Christians believe are naturally offensive, kind of like what Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But if you actually believe that Jesus is the only way, that's offensive in modern American society. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way? Do you understand? That's offensive. If you still actually believe what Christians have always believed about human sexuality and marriage, for example, that's deeply offensive in modern American society, and that means true biblical Christianity will become increasingly an anomaly in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. We need to be ready, because there's going to be soft persecution, not that anyone's going to throw you to the lions or nail you to a cross and torture you to death, but there's soft persecution. I hear stories more and more all the time from members of our church, young lady that's here. She loves Jesus. She loves people. I'm talking living proof kind of Christian woman. Training for a retail management position at a local retail store. I won't tell you which one. She's in Lawrence, Kansas for training at one of these retail stores. Lawrence, Kansas being the bastion and pillar of a biblical Christianity it is. So she goes to work at the store, and all the other co-workers there are members of LGBTQ. And this is a woman, because she works in an industry with lots of gay and lesbian people, she has made it her mission to befriend them and love them and be living proof to them. She's brought some of them to church, and, and I've met those that she's brought, and she has gone out of her way to love people and show But we love everybody. That's what we do as Christians. That's all we do. But they found out she was a Christian. Let me tell you something, they brutalized her. They verbally assaulted her day after day after day, all day, to her face, behind her back. They brutally assaulted her because she was a Christian. So much so that they create a hostile work environment. Now, instead of these coworkers being disciplined by the company like they should have, because by the way, religious discrimination is still unlawful in America. I don't know if you know that or not, but it is. But instead of disciplining the coworkers that did this to her, they just moved her to a different store, and I hear this all the time. Meaning, if you're a Christian, there's gonna be times you might get passed over for a promotion. It might cost you your occupation. It could cost you your vocation. I mean, that's the type of soft persecution that is coming to these United States of America, and I hear it more and more all the time. And that's why these words are relevant, this ancient wisdom. And that's what Peter says, now be ready. If you're really gonna stand in the light and not just try to blend into the darkness, go along to get along, there's gonna be times people hate you, they don't like you, it does not matter how much you love people and how much you try to serve and be kind, it just doesn't matter. They hate you for what you believe. They hated Jesus because of who he was. They snuffed out the life because they hated the light. What is true then is still true today. Now there's a second thing. Listen, we need to rejoice Imagine writing these Christians that are being thrown to the lions and burned at the stake. Peter says rejoice, look at what he says next. He says but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy if your reproach for the name of Christ blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed but on your part he is glorified. Peter says rejoice that God has granted you too the privilege to suffer for his name. He's granted that privilege to other Christians in other places, not just historically in times of antiquity, but right now in the 21st century. Do you understand in Afghanistan, if you are a Christian, it is a death sentence. There's no religious liberty, no constitution, no first amendment you're going to seek refuge from. If you live in Iran, it is a death sentence. If you live in the 20th century behind the Iron Curtain of the Soviet Union, it was imprisonment. Stalin killed 20 million Russian Christians. We're not just talking about antiquity, we're talking about currently. And guess what he says, rejoice, God has granted you the privilege of suffering for his name. It's a different way of thinking than most of us have in modern American churchianity. Like, it's a privilege to suffer something for Jesus. He suffered so much for me. When you suffer for Christ, rejoice that God has granted you the privilege of suffering for his name. Undoubtedly, Peter was remembering the words of Jesus personally. Thirty years earlier, Peter was there when Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter. 5 and verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Remember, the rewards of heaven are greater than the rewards of this earth. Remember, the reputation of heaven is greater than the reputation of this earth. Remember, the recognition of heaven is better than the recognition of this world. Church, I'd rather be canceled by our culture than canceled by Christ. To the wind with them all, I'd rather follow Jesus. Because this life is but a vapor here for a little while than vanishing away and on the other side is something called eternity, it's forever forever I'd rather be canceled by this world than canceled in heaven and that's why Peter says rejoice your reward is great when you faithfully suffer in the fiery trial of persecution now he's not done he goes on he says if you suffer and you're going to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons be right because let's face it sometimes we suffer for our own sin sometimes we suffer for our own stupidity can we just be honest A lot of suffering is self-inflicted. Sometimes we suffer and we think we're suffering for Jesus, but we're not suffering for Jesus. We're just suffering because we're a jerk. And some of us are jerks. Really. So, so what he's saying is now, if you're going to suffer, make sure you're suffering for being right, not for being wrong. He goes on in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody, in other people's matters. I love how Peter puts murderer and busybody in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, he's covering everybody, all right? Because there's a good chance nobody here is going to suffer as a murderer, though some might have. But what he's really saying is, man, this is so relevant for today's age in which we live. Quit being a busybody. Get it? Get out of other people's business. <laughs> what he's really saying is, look, if you suffer as a Christian, don't suffer because you talked the talk but didn't walk the walk. Suffer because you talk the talk and you walk the walk. Because here's the deal, the world might hate you and the world won't like you either way, but if you don't talk the talk and walk the walk and you just talk the talk and you don't walk the walk, they're not going to like you and they're not going to respect you. Peter's saying, hey, don't suffer for doing wrong, suffer for doing right. Be wise, 1 Peter four sixteen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Your chance and your platform to bring God glory is never greater than in your suffering. Because the world is watching and people are changed by what they see. When you suffer, make sure you're doing it for what is right and not for what is wrong. Be wise. And I can tell you in the last few months, I have meditated more and more and more on something Jesus said specifically. Again, Peter, one of his inner three, undoubtedly was thinking of the words of Jesus when he wrote these words. And Jesus said these words 30 years earlier before Peter wrote his letter in Matthew 10, 16. He said, behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. I have meditated more and more on these words recently than ever before, because this is the world we now live more than ever. Behold, I send you out a sheep among wolves. Think about the imagery. Wolves and sheep were a mainstay, very visually familiar to this first century audience. Sheep was a part of Jewish life. They were everywhere. Wolves were known to prey on sheep. That's why they need a shepherd. You know now why Jesus is our chief shepherd, 1 Peter chapter 5, because it's the shepherd that protects the sheep provides for the sheep. He says, behold, I send you out a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. As a dove, it's a symbol of peace. The world should see us as people of peace. As Christians, we are people of peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, we're not being godly if we're just constantly in defiance. We're not being godly if we're just brawlers ready to fight anybody for any reason. Come on, who's next? All right, And I'm just telling you, the last 18 months, that's the posture a lot of us have taken. Man, we're just ready to fight. He says, no, be, be harmless as a dove. A dove is a symbol of peace. We should bring the peace of God with us wherever we go. The shalom of God should come to our city because we're in the city. But listen carefully, he said more than that. Harmless as a dove, but be wise. Wise as a serpent. The serpent is introduced in that image in Genesis 3. He's both sinister and shrewd. Now, Jesus is not saying be sinister, but he is saying be shrewd, be wise, because you're among wolves. Wolves hunt together. Wolves hunt in a pack. Wolves are very smart. When they prey on sheep, they're known to actually devise a plan. That's where we're at in modern American society as Christians. Be wise, be shrewd. Shrewd as the serpent. Choose your battles wisely. Choose your battles carefully. I think you're harmless as a dove, but shrewd as a serpent. You understand the, the serpent's not scared of anything. The serpent has no known enemies. The serpent would rather avoid you than actually have to bite you, but he will bite you if he has to. You know what that tells me? We are to be sheep that is harmless, but don't misunderstand harmless can quickly become dangerous if you back me in a corner. And this is the serpent. Like he'd rather avoid you, he doesn't want confrontation, but if he has to, he's very dangerous. He will come out strike. He will come out and bite but he only does if he has to. Be wise. You can't do it indiscriminately. It's time to be very shrewd in how we navigate the complexities of 21st century American society and church. I know so many of you are going through tremendous stress, pressure, duress, navigating the most difficult decisions of your life besides the sadness and the suffering that's all around. So I just want to pull up a chair, I just want to sit down, and I want to have a family talk. Can we do that, fam? Over in Blue Springs, Independence Online, pull up a chair with all of us here. Sometimes this is what we do in my house. Everybody come to the living room. Pull up a chair. Family powwow. I want you to know that I'm going through a hard time too, difficult days for us all, navigating very difficult decisions in the midst of a time of real sadness and loss. I'm going to another funeral this week that I didn't dream I'd have to. Some of you have gone through tremendous loss recently. And on top of that, you're navigating decisions you never dreamed you would. I want to have a conversation with you because I have received dozens of emails, as other members of our staff has too, about vaccinations and vaccine mandates and what do I do? I'm going to lose my job. There's an ultimatum. If I don't get it by this date, then I'm fired. What do I do? And I want you to listen carefully to every word I'm about to say, because if you just hear one thing and quit listening, you're going to completely misunderstand what I'm about to say. Sometimes I get an email and somebody says, Pastor Phil, you said this, and I think, did you not listen to everything I said? Now is the time to listen to everything I'm about to say. And over the last few months, I've received emails from people on both sides, both extremes, Pastor Phil, you need to take a stand, tell our church not to take the vaccine. It's evil, it's sinful. And then I get other emails. Pastor Phil, you need to tell everybody they ought to get vaccinated. They have this moral obligation and this civic duty to love their neighbor. And so there's both these extremes right now people are navigating. The truth is, it's born out of fear. Over here, there's fear of COVID. Over here, there's fear of the loss of constitutional freedoms. And church, fear is a horrible motivator when we make decisions. Second Timothy one seven, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There is a spirit of fear; it's a demonic spirit, and it is everywhere. The problem is fear distorts reality. Yet on the other hand, as Christians, we have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. The spirit of God that lives within us, giving a spirit of power. You know what that means. Nobody can make me do anything I don't want to do. Nobody can make me do anything I don't think God wants me to do. I have the power to say yes or no. Now, I may suffer because of it, but the early Christians did too. When they were told to bow down and worship Caesar as a God, they would not do it, and they suffered deeply. But they had the power over themselves. And Rome had no power over them. The spirit of power and of love. What that means is, in a world of hatred, animosity, hostility, I have the power to love everybody. I don't care if you hate me, I'm going to love you. I don't care if you disagree with me, I'm going to keep loving you. The world needs more of that kind of love. Remember last week? Fervent love one for another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. And then it says, I have a spirit, sound mind. When everybody else is losing their mind, I don't have to. I told you last week, I'm not taking a side on the vaccine. You know why? Because the Bible does not take a side on the vaccines. When the Bible takes a side, the church should take a side. When the Bible doesn't take a side, we shouldn't take a side. I'm not going to tell you if you should get vaccinated. I'm not going to tell you if you shouldn't get vaccinated because it's more than simply a biblical decision. This is a medical decision. It's not really between you and your pastor. It's between you and your doctor. There's nothing inherently evil about modern medicine or vaccinations. The Bible is silent on the issue. So I'm not going to take a side and tell you what you ought to do. Church, listen, as your pastor, my job is not to tell you everything you ought to do. It's not even to tell you everything you ought to think My job is to teach you how to think. To think biblically and think critically. Now, biblically, the Bible doesn't say anything about vaccines. But there's always principles to apply. In this case, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the great divide at that time in the early church was eating meat sacrificed to idols. And some Christians would say, oh, to sin to eat meat sacrificed to idols. How could they? I mean, they're eating meat that was sacrificed to demons. They're promoting idolatry. And other Christians would say, man, I'm not promoting idolatry. I'm just feeding my family. And guess what? Paul wrote about this very thing. He didn't take a side. You know why? Because it's not a matter of sin. It's a matter of conscience. Getting vaccinated is not a matter of sin. It's a matter of your conscience before God. Let your conscience be your guide. That's what Paul was teaching. It's a matter of Christian liberty over which you have autonomy. You need to seek first the kingdom of God. Put Jesus on the throne of your home and he will tell you what to do. He alone. Okay? Think biblically. I'm trying to help you do that. Now think critically. Now if the only people you're talking to is your friends that already agree with you, you're not thinking critically. If you're living in the echo chamber where most Americans live, you're not thinking critically. If you're only reading articles to support your position so you have more ammunition, you're not thinking critically. You're only thinking critically when you're actually trying to find people who don't agree with you that you respect because you want to see what they see. How did they get to their conclusions? Do you understand your algorithm on your phone knows you better than your friends do? Sees everything you clicked on to make sure you get more articles like the last one so you'll click on them too. You're not thinking critically if you're not seeking out the opinion and other conclusions than the one you already have. Now, where the Bible does not take a side on vaccines, it does take a side on what we call today abortion. Life begins at conception. That is what Christians have always believed. You know why? Because God says so. Psalm 139, Jeremiah chapter one, our church has been a vocal supporter on the side of what we call it a pro-life, because you better believe God takes a side, and abortion is a modern American depravity. one of our great national sins. This vaccine creates a moral dilemma for many Christians, because these vaccines were developed using a fetal cell line from the 1970s that was undoubtedly received into the medical community unethically and immorally from an aborted baby. Those fetal cells have been replicated thousands and tens of thousands of times in the years since, and all modern medical research uses them. The moral dilemma for many Christians is how can I receive a vaccine where the research and development included the use of these fetal cell lines? If it is your sincerely held religious position and your conscience before God that you cannot receive this vaccine and your employer is giving you a religious exemption because of it, you better believe your pastor and your church will have your back. Now, you need to know legally, it doesn't matter what your church believes. Legally, it matters what you believe. But if it will help you with your employer and your employer is giving you a religious exemption, I absolutely will sign a letter of religious exemption that this is your sincerely held religious belief. You cannot receive this vaccine. And the reason I'm doing this, I've received dozens of emails from people that are facing an ultimatum. They don't want to get vaccinated, but they're going to lose their job, get fired, have to resign if they don't. And if this is really what you believe, and it's going to violate your conscience before God, you better believe, I've got your back. We've got your back. But what if your employer doesn't give you religious exemptions? And what if that's not an option? And you're about to lose your livelihood. This is what dozens of you, maybe hundreds of you, are navigating right now. Listen carefully. What we need to know is, Vaccine mandates are really nothing new. This is not new. This has been around for over a hundred years. It began in the 1800s with the emergence of modern science and modern medical research. And we should be glad we live at a time of scientific enlightenment where vaccines and other medical advances have ended many scourges and horrible, horrible diseases that otherwise were known for centuries. Centuries that plugged humanity. I'm talking smallpox. I'm talking polio. I think we can be thankful. We ought to be thankful. On the other hand, it creates a real moral dilemma for some of us, and I use us. Listen, I'm not telling you if I have or haven't been vaccinated because my personal decision in this case should not affect yours. It's a personal decision. And with the modern medical advances, it creates more complexities than any generation before us. What do you do if you don't really want to get vaccinated for, for any reason? Maybe you're not sure about the medical reaction. It's not just a religious issue. Understand, this is not Christian persecution. We're not being targeted as Christians. This is a constitutional issue is what it is. And this has been around for decades. My dad got drafted into the U.S. Army in 1961. He did not volunteer. His government said, you're now our property for the next two years. And as soon as he did, on day one, they jabbed him full of needles and about five or six different immunizations and they did not ask him his opinion. See, this isn't new. Public school systems have required immunizations for generations. This isn't really new. Now it remains to be seen with the current Biden administration coming out with, you know, any employer in America over 100, you have to make sure each employee is vaccinated or threaten them with their job. That's going to be tied up in court for months to come. It's a constitutional issue. That's going to be settled somewhere else. I want you to get out, just rid yourself of even all of that, because that that in the end is not what should guide your next steps. I do find the hypocrisy is startling. That when it comes to abortion, it's my body, my choice. But when it comes to vaccination, it's not your body, not your choice. I'm just saying. But a lot of us here have been vaccinated. And you need to recognize that for those that have been vaccinated, by receiving this vaccine, you are not promoting the abortion industry, and you are not going to save one unborn baby by not being vaccinated. And by the way, you cannot take any modern pharmaceutical, including an Advil that has not in some way developed in its research using this fetal line of cells that have been replicated for generations. You're using products now that you have no idea is associated with the same line of fetal cells from the 1970s. So before you lose your job over this, or resign your job over this, get alone with God. Seek first the kingdom of God. God, what would you have me to do? Don't listen to your friends. You've talked to all of them already. You don't need to read one more article on the internet. At this point, you know what you need to know. Only Jesus can tell you what to do next. And it's in this fire. Your faith is not simply revealed. It's being refined. He's growing you through this. I can tell you personally, several years ago, I went to Tanzania on a mission trip to take the gospel to Tanzania. I had to have the yellow fever vaccination to get into the country. They would not let me get in without it. I didn't want it. I didn't think I needed it. I'm certain this vaccine for yellow fever was also tested against this same fetal line of tissue, and I received the vaccine because I did not want the gospel to be limited in what God would do with my life and my calling, because I wouldn't take it. My conscience is 100% clean before God. Again, I'm not telling you what to do. This is between you and Jesus and none other. Some of us so have a calling, it's in the healthcare industry. I've received dozens of letters from nurses and RNs around our city that are being mandated now for this vaccine. I would suggest you have a calling, God gave it to you. It's more than a livelihood to you, that's why you go into that industry. Before you abdicate your calling, make certain you really have to. Because there's a lot of other nurses and other medical professionals that have taken the vaccine their conscience is clean remember this is not a sin issue this is a conscience issue military law enforcement it's everywhere before you lose your livelihood we all have a calling to take care of our families financially before you lose your livelihood make certain that this is what Jesus wants you to do and not your friends Not your circle of those that you talk to. Because only Jesus can tell you now what to do. Now, for those in the medical industry that thinks this ought to be easy, it's so clear. no. here's where most of us are at. I'm talking normal people that aren't trained scientifically and medically. Here's part of the problem. It's, it, it's that even the scientific community can't fully agree. What hope is there for us? I mean, the WHO doesn't agree with the CDC. The CDC doesn't agree with the WHO. The CDC doesn't agree with itself most of the time. <laughs> in two weeks, they're going to change their mind. Thinking critically, you have to talk to people who know what you don't know. And I realize with the onset of the internet, everybody's an expert in everything. Everybody's a legal expert, everybody's a scientific expert, everybody's a medical expert. No, we're not. need to talk to people who are. I have personally talked to, and thinking critically through this, I've personally talked to two infectious disease doctors in our own area both of which have been practicing for 30 years, both of which are fully credentialed, one of which is 100% behind the vaccine, everybody ought to be vaccinated, the other of which himself got vaccinated because he had to for the system he works for, but he has not recommended one other person to get vaccinated. In fact, he said he's treated over 200 COVID patients successfully with hydrochloroquine, and not one of them has gone to the hospital. And what he said is, and I quote, I can't understand why people treat me like I'm poisoning my patients. It's been around since 1955. Now, I'm not weighing in one way or the other. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But what I do know is even the doctors don't agree. Even the scientists don't agree, which means it's okay if we don't agree. What I really think the issue came back to is maybe three, four years ago, somewhere around 2016, 17, 18, Satan got all of his army together because there's always more than going on that meets the eye. There's the enemy behind the scenes that is pulling the strings. Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age. He gets all of his high-ranking powers and principalities together. He says, I have a plan for the destruction of the nations, and most of all, the destruction of our arch enemy, the body of Christ, the church. I have a plan. They've discovered a virus called COVID. Let's unleash COVID upon the world. And all the powers and principalities said, Lord Lucifer, that is an awesome idea. We'll use this virus as a weapon. And Lucifer said, no, you don't get it. This virus is not the weapon. The weapon will be people's reaction. The weapon is division. The weapon will be dissension. We will divide and conquer. And what I'm telling you, church, is the worst thing that could happen is a divided church, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. There's already a divided America, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. It is time for the church to come together and get out of each other's business. Because this is Business between you and Jesus and none other. If you're navigating this decision and you're struggling with what to do, you need to go home and get alone, you and Jesus, and seek the direction that can only come from above and none other because this is not a matter of sin, this is a matter of conscience, conscience before God. And I want you to know I have been praying for you. I'm like maybe never in 21 years I have been praying for you. I have been interceding for you because I know many of you are going through things you have never been through, you never dreamed you would. We all are. And I do know that opposition is coming. And vaccine mandates really is not Christian persecution. I'll admit that as an American, I'm stubborn. I don't like being told what to do. There, I said it. But that is not a reason not to get vaccinated. Our nation was born out of revolution against government tyranny. There are constitutional issues that are coming, but that's not even the real issue. The real issue is seek first the kingdom of God. What does Jesus want you to do? And if you will, there will be persecution, there will be real opposition, and the last thing Peter says is rest, rest. You can rest. Look at what he says now in verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. You've heard me say many times, as the church goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in a mess, but it didn't begin in the White House, it began in the church house. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Last time around, you had one group of people saying the problem's in the White House. This time around, you got a different group of people saying the problem's in the White House. And what God wants us to know is it begins in the church house. It is time for judgment to begin in our house. And that is what COVID has done. Judgment has come to the house of God. Guess what? There is a sifting going on. And the real Christians are going to emerge. The true followers of Jesus are going to come to the top and stand up. And what Peter's saying, it's time to get all in or all out. The days of straddling the line with one foot in Jesus, one foot in the world are over. And I've watched it happen for the last 18 months. I've watched people emerge who once were kind of half in, half in. And they are all in. Sign me up. I'm following Jesus. And I've watched other people honestly just slowly fade away. Because the days are coming, it's gonna be costly, costly to be a Christian. It's never been costly in these United States before, but it's coming. And the good news is wherever persecution has come to the church, the church has thrived. But historically, wherever the church has been left alone, the church has died. I think this could be the greatest moment, the greatest shining moment ever for the American church in the days ahead. I think these are the greatest days ever to live. They're the hardest days, but the greatest days because we're gonna shine brighter and farther and wider than ever. He says "It's time, the judgment begins in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You know what Peter is saying? It feels like wickedness is winning over and over again. Nero is on the throne. God, where are you? Why don't you bring judgment on wicked men? And we live at a time where wickedness is encroaching and it feels like the darkness is darker. But Peter's reminded them, no, 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 listen, God's, God's got this. There's gonna be a payday someday, Peter's saying. Like, if we're barely saved by the grace of God, imagine what that means for the ungodly. You know what it says in Romans chapter 12? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. When you are treated unfairly for being a Christian, don't worry. God's got this, he is your protector and one day he will be your judge. And the good news in Christ, your sin has been judged already. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. But those who hate you and oppose you, God help them. Let's pray for their repentance so they too can go to heaven. Because Peter's saying, if not, they will live to loathe the day they were born when they stand before the Living God, the judge of us all. Therefore, let those who suffer, according to the will of God, commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator. When you suffer for His name, that's what you do. I commit my soul to God, the only one that matters. We live at a time where not everybody's going to like you, not everybody's going to approve of you. Listen. We live at a time where nobody gets a 100 percent approval rating, Church. I love you deeply. God knows I do. I love every single one of you, those I haven't even met. I love you so deeply, but I don't need your approval. God alone will be my judge, I'll leave it at that. And that's how we all have to live. You may lose friends over this. God help them, God love them, God go with them. God alone will be my judge. People won't like you, God love them, God bless you. But God alone will be my judge. I'll commit my soul to him, not you. We all remember the images of 9-11, the destruction, the chaos. There's this iconic photo that emerged in the days after. In the middle of this destruction, two I-beams from the Twin Towers just randomly, accidentally, I'm sure, fell in the form of a cross. God remind us, in the middle of the chaos, there's the cross. Rest your soul in the cross, in the middle of the chaos, because in the middle of all the ruin, there is redemption. His name is Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna to listen to a song. The song says it all. I want you to listen to the song prayerfully. Meditate on what it says. Then I want you to go home this week. If you are navigating these difficult decisions, seek God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And He will direct your path. Jesus, I pray for every person here That you would refine us in the fire. That, Lord, you would burn off all the impurities in our life and our faith. So that we come out on the other side to bring you more glory than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you very, very much, and I am really, really, really praying for all of you, every single one of you, going through a season of real sadness, in some cases suffering, loss, navigating decisions you never dreamed you'd have to make. I'm really in prayer for you, and I thank you for praying for me too. God bless you. God go with you. Have a super blessed Sunday.